As we come to the Word of God, let's, let's pray and open our hearts to our Heavenly Father. Lord, come speak your Word to our hearts. Speak your Word to our minds. Open our eyes to see, to hear, to understand as we, as we receive your Word. Change our lives to your glory for the sake of your ministry, your call on us, for the sake of your church, for the sake of a hungry and dying world, for the sake of your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon today is called Freeing Patty Hurst. Freeing Patty Hurst. Page one, the sympathetic hostage. It was a grainy three-minute video from a bank surveillance camera, April 15, 1974. Five members of the self-proclaimed revolutionary cell group the Symbionese Liberation Army. They held up the Hibernia Bank outside San Francisco. Among them, in olive drab fatigues, black beret, and a 30 caliber M1 carbine, their hostage, Patricia Hurst. Maybe a few of you may remember that. For the others, that means all those born after 1974. Patty Hearst, 20-year-old granddaughter of the famous or infamous media mogul William Randolph Hearst. She was a sophomore at the University of California in Berkeley. And she was kidnapped on February 1st, 1974. For her ransom, the SLA, that cell group, demanded, it was interesting, they demanded that the family distribute $400 million of food to the poor. Of course, the problem was Patty's parents, that side of the family, only controlled a very small portion, of, relatively speaking, of the family fortune. And so there was an odd request, but since the kidnappers weren't asking for anything for themselves, the family tried to comply as best they could. They were able to scrape up some $2 million to buy food, to uh, purchase and distribute to food banks and soup kitchens all over the Bay Area. Nevertheless, in spite of trying so hard to comply, Patty was not released. Instead, on April 3rd, the SLA released a message from Patty claiming she had converted to the SLA cause. And she, she had a new name. Her name was Tanya. 
And then a week and a half after that, she appeared with Carbine in the bank robbery video. A month after that, on May 17th, the police raided an SLA safe house, trapping six members of the cell group inside. There was a fierce shootout. For two full days, the police and the SLA exchanged over 9,000 rounds of ammunition at each other. When a tear gas canister caught the house on fire by accident, the surviving holdouts all died in the flames. Patty Hearst was not among them. A little over a year later, after that, in September 1975, the police found and arrested Patty Hearst and the last three members of the SLA. She was tried for her role in the bank robbery and for two counts of kidnapping. And she was originally sentenced to 35 years in prison. After a certain time, her original sentence was reduced to seven years. And then after two years of that, her sentence was commuted, she was released, and then 10 years later, she was formally pardoned. The question was, was she an unwilling hostage or a willing co-conspirator? Or was she somehow both at the same time? Her case brought to public attention how, over time, hostages can be brainwashed into sympathizing and then identifying with their captors until they'll say or do things they never would under normal conditions. Black and white blur into an indefinite gray, and the victim becomes a conspirator and it's hard to say if it was a willing choice. When Patty Hearst was freed again, she was still not free. She had to learn how to be, and I use this word loosely, normal again. Page two, captive audience. We are, all of us held hostage. We're all in captivity. That's the message of the New Testament, of St. Paul's letters, 1 Peter. And I want us to look this morning at 1 Peter in chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. 1 Peter 1 starting at 17. <coughs> Excuse me. We read, If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, 
live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. May God bless to us this reading. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a really rich passage. And to be honest, the metaphors tend to get mixed a little bit here. On the one hand, we're told that you and I are currently in exile. We are in exile from our true homeland. And of course, that's a very loaded term for anyone who knows this much about the Bible. The exile. What it means is that like Israel of old, we have been violently overcome by hostile enemies. We have been forcibly deported from our true homeland and dragged off into captivity. You see, in this image, you and I are being held and controlled by powers and influences from outside ourselves. And then as it continues that we are held for ransom, it sounds like it's, move, it's continuing and moving along in that same vein. We're being held by hostile powers. But then suddenly it switches. That we're held for ransom by the feudal ways inherited from our ancestors. It's an odd picture, but we might say we're, we're being held hostage by bad habits. Things that came down from our ancestors, feudal ways inherited from our ancestors. Inherited mean it's passed down to us in our families. It, it's somehow in our very chromosomes. Let's just say our genes don't fit right. Okay? And, and this time, though, it means we're being held and controlled by something from inside ourselves. Do you see the difference? It's not the Symbionese Liberation Army. It's the old human sin nature embedded in our very wills and our souls, rebelling against divine authority, every righteous expectation and 
It pulls us away from God and makes us obey its every whim instead. The old sin nature passed down to us and it's embedded within us. We have to take that very seriously. Sin in this sense is not just a few bad things you might do from time to time. It is a force, shall we say, to be reckoned with that's built into your very nature. It's built into your will. You will things for yourself in opposition to God. And we're all prone to that. That's what we call original sin, which means there's actually probably no sin that's really original. Nobody, you can't come up with a sin that somebody hasn't always come up with. Not already. But it's original because it's in our origin. It shapes who we are and what we are. What this means, this passage in 1 Peter, this odd mix of metaphors here, it says that part of you is the victim and part of you is the kidnapper. Or maybe it means that that victim part of you is so brainwashed that it even sympathizes and identifies with the kidnapper part of you. You're a sympathetic hostage, a captive co-conspirator. God, however, saw it all coming long before he even set creation in motion, destined before the foundation of the world, but revealed at the end of the ages. That is, God, before he called the heavens and the earth into being, before he sculpted the high mountains and the deep gorges, before he shaped a little man of mud and a little woman of bone, God knew what could and would go wrong. Where and when and how and he knew what it would cost him. But in his love and compassion for you, for me, he went ahead with it anyway. You see, your eventual redemption was built into the very fabric of reality, the very fabric of the universe. Before the beginning, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was already destined to come and pay your ransom. Not with gold or silver, not even with bread for the hungry, but with his own lifeblood. He gave his life, we're told, like a pure sacrificial lamb, to pay your way free. You have been ransomed. You have been ransomed. This is what we call redemption. Now, that word redemption has been kind of turned into religious jargon. 
But at its core, it came from business and finance. It means to pay off a loan or to pay off a debt or, in that context, to purchase a slave's release or to ransom a captive, to buy back something out of hock down at the pawn shop. If you've ever taken something down to the pawn shop, or if you ever go down to the pawn shop to, to do your Christmas shopping, you're buying something or somebody out of hock. That's redemption. It's called to redeem something or redeem someone. And that's a price... It's a price only God could pay because, you know, that watch in hock can't pay for itself. And when it, in this case, you know, and, and well, another example, the kidnapped captive is in no position to pay for their own ransom, right? They're sitting there probably with zip ties in a closet. Rather, it takes someone from outside to buy you free. And, since you are priceless to God, it's going to take someone with infinite resources. You are that precious jewel that God bought for himself with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are freed from your captives, no more in hoc. Page three, deprogrammed. The ransom is paid, but in a way, you and I are still a long way from really being free. Remember Patty Hearst, ransomed but brainwashed. You are at the same time both captive and co-conspirator. The captive may be ransomed. The conditions may be met for freedom. But there's still that inner conspirator who has identified with, maybe even redefined himself or herself to be like the hostile abductor. Once we've been bought free and paid for, once we've been born anew through the power of God's life-changing word, we are still, in spite of all of that, we are still instructed to purify our souls by our obedience to the truth. We're there, but we're not there yet. We must actively practice our freedom in Christ and cultivate new healthy habits by showing genuine mutual love and loving deeply from the heart. Now this is consistent what we read elsewhere in the New Testament in Paul or in the Epistle of Hebrews, other letters of the New Testament. Theologians here like to distinguish between the indicative and the imperative. We, we, just, we theologians, we just have a way of trying to, 
to encapsulate it in ways that make it totally impossible to understand. It makes us feel needed, I think. And I won't get started on that, because I could, I could go on about that. <clears throat> but it's the difference between the indicative and the imperative. It's the grammar of grace. The indicative, these are grammatic terms. The indicative of, is what is. The imperative is what we should do about it. You know, an imperative is a command, do something. Go do this, go do that, come here. Those are imper an imperative. Um, so first, we acknowledge what is, meaning what Christ has already done for us, who God sees us to be, and therefore who we really are. The, it's the new situation in which we find ourselves. That's what is, the indicative. And then we recognize and pursue its consequences for a new Christian lifestyle. That's the imperative. That is, Jesus has already done this, therefore now you do that. Are you with me? Too quiet out there. Are you with me? <laughs> Are you with me? Okay. You see, the life of faith is a matter of becoming who you already are in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ, but being a new creation and living as a new creation doesn't just come naturally. It only comes supernaturally, and that means usually it comes supernaturally as we're fighting the natural inclination. There's this struggle. It's natural, I guess. So if you've been set free, and this is what we're told, we, we've been ransomed. If you've been set free, then, well, don't just keep running back to your captors. If you are a new creature, relinquish those old futile ways inherited from your ancestors. Let it go. If you've been set free, don't go on thinking like a captive. Or even worse, thinking like your captors. And that's precisely our problem as new creatures in Christ. We still think like the old creatures before Christ. Patty Hearst bought into the thinking of her captors until she could excuse the, what for her would have been inexcusable. In the same way, we bought into this thinking of our old sin nature that once held us hostage until we can do or say all sorts of things that are completely contrary to the purity and the truth of God without seeing any inconsistency or contradiction in our lives. You see, we're free, but we do not yet think freely. Brainwashing experts call it deprogramming. 
That as you and I have been brainwashed, programmed into sin and selfishness, we must be deprogrammed to discover our real selves now in Christ. What they call deprogramming, theologians call repentance. That's a process. To repent means to rethink. So repentance is a process of rethinking who we really are, who you really are, and what you do, and why you do it. Or to use another metaphor, Jesus Christ has performed the heart surgery, but now it's off to rehab. You know, you got to rebuild that strength, your stamina, and, and relearn to walk all over again. Make straight those crooked knees and so forth, as the Bible calls it. That is, we must rethink and relearn how to live and love. Now, how can we tell when we are finally normal? Well, I use that term very loosely. Uh, There are folks who would say they're in a single person in this room that's normal. They might be right. After three years here, they might be right. Just saying. How can we tell when we're normal or healthy or whatever? What is the mark of a spiritually renewed existence? Now, some, you ask, and some are going to say, oh, it's that hunger for the Word of God. So that, you know, and for them, then they'll devote untold hours to reading the Bible, maybe even memorizing it. And other people might want to cultivate their new relationship with God through unceasing prayer. However, our scripture reading gives us a different thermometer for measuring our spiritual temperature. You see, it's mutual love. Mutual love. There are an awful lot of Christians, and at times I've numbered among them, who are so focused on on the Bible or prayer or apologetics, that's arguing the truth of the faith, uh, or uh, fasting or other spiritual disciplines, but, but they have little or no use for people. You know, just me and Jesus. And, and just don't bother me with people. I mean, we're spread out all over the place here, so we don't have to sit close to anybody except the ones we choose to sit close to, right? That's every church I've ever served. That's the way we are. That's the way we are. We have problems with people. And you know what's even more distressing than that? They have problems with us. Just saying. Um, But people are important to God. Did you know that? It's a good thing, because if if people didn't matter to God, you wouldn't either. 
People are important to God. And if people are important to God, then people better become important to you and me as well. If you have a heart for God, you will have a heart for the things God has a heart for. When we purify our souls by our obedience to the truth, it shows, we're told, in love from the heart. You see, most of the sins that beset us are self-centered. Now, it's all about me. Fear, it's about me. Greed, that's really about me. Anger, that's usually about me. Indirect, directly or indirectly. Vindictiveness, that really is about me. Pride, well, by definition, it's about me. One way or another, they are all about me. Now, love, real love, God's kind of love, is not about me. Love is about you. Exactly. It's about you. When I am no longer at the center of my life, it's a sure sign that my old sin nature is losing its grip on me. You're one step closer to actually being deprogrammed for Jesus. Page four. Bought, paid for, and free at last. Patty Hearst was released from prison after serving two years in maximum security. But she was freed from so much more than prison bars. Most people, even those that knew about her, Back when, don't really know what happened to her. She got out of prison, and then she turned her back on her whole life in captivity. She literally repented. That is, she rethought who she was and who she wanted to be. She got married. Do you know who she got married to? This is God's incredible sense of irony and humor. She married a police officer. <laughs> they had two children. And she has devoted the rest of her life to charity work, especially helping children with AIDS. You see, life really can start over. Are you a captive bound by forces that control you? It could be alcohol, medication, emotional trauma or abuse, maybe anger or bitterness or whatever. Just a moment. Hmm? This is, we, we've just gotten a word that somebody left their red Jeep running out in the parking lot the whole time at almost $5 a gallon. 
If you drive a red Jeep, please go and check now. Well, we won't look. Okay, maybe we will, but that's all right. Are you a captive bound by forces that control you? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's gasoline. Maybe it's automobiles. Maybe it's memory uh, loss. I don't know. It could be emotional trauma. It could be abuse. I mean, there's just so many things. Maybe there's anger. There's bitterness. Maybe it's resentment. In our polarized climate right now, there are many Christians who should be free and yet who are willingly held hostage by their own ideological or political passions. You can be held captive or made hostage by the worldly things you believe. Or maybe it's complacency. This is one of the hardest ones to beat, you know, that comfortable lethargy that keeps you from rising above your couch. But it's killing us, body and soul. And I want you to hear right now, Jesus Christ has paid your price so you can go free. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to be a captive. Just Jesus has paid it all. You can begin a fresh life right now. Right now. Just call out to him. Ask him to apply his costly ransom to you, your situation, to you, to your captivity. Don't leave this morning without knowing that you are bought free. And those of you who already know that Jesus has paid for you to purchase your freedom, you've had a taste of that. Are you free yet? Are you free yet? Or are you still a Patty Hearst? brainwashed into thinking like the old sin nature that held you hostage. Then I challenge you to purify your souls by obeying the truth. That is, read, pray, hear what God has done for you, what he expects of you. With his help, do it the best you can. And above all, practice. And it takes practice. Anyone who's been in rehab knows how much you have to practice. You have to walk and stand and do this and do that, and they're not going to let you go until you can. And what is it that we have to do in our spiritual rehab? Friends, learn to love. Learn to get out of ourselves and love. So let go of that me-centeredness. Commit yourself to genuine, heartfelt love and service. 
and your life can start anew right now. Let's pray. Lord, we have so much to learn, but we're usually trying to learn all the wrong things. Teach us instead of our freedom and our new identity in Christ and how to love. Once we know who we are, we don't have to fret about it and worry about it anymore. We can commit ourselves and who we are and what we are just into your hands and we can focus on others. Reshape us in the form of Jesus Christ who did not think about himself but gave up his very life for others. We ask it in his name. And all God's people said...